Welcome to the Business Trendsetter Podcast, where we talk about trends and how to use them to grow your business. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. We are Spark Partners. We're here every week delivering lots of insights on trends and why they're so massively important to understand and use to grow your business. That second part is important, the end use part, because a lot of people, they talk trends, they listen to trends, they monitor trends, but then they don't do anything beyond that. They don't, there's no action. And love him or hate him, Elon Musk is a man of action. And there's something that happened here over the past uh, week or two that was in the news. And that, of course, is a partnership between Tesla and Ford Motor Company. Ford is the top uh, sixth largest automaker in the world. You've got Toyota, you've got uh, v, uh, VW, you've got, you know, uh, GM is up there as well. But they're pretty big. I mean, Ford's massive. So I wanted to start with that, Adam, and you know we're talking about Tesla, who's got a very high market cap as it is. You know their valuation is ridiculous. Um, they're not making making very many cars compared to Ford. So what's the benefit for them to go partner with uh, the devil? <laughs> okay. Well, you know the partnership was around the charging stations. And uh, Tesla been in the marketplace for, I want to say, 15, 16 years, I think now. And uh, th they went from a world in which you had to charge your vehicle at home. That was the only way you could charge your vehicle to then people wanting to charge more remotely. And over time, they've built out a, a pretty darn big charging network uh, spanning the United States with you know urban areas having a lot of the Tesla stations. If you drive through Tucson, um, most towns, you'll, you won't have any difficulty finding the Tesla signs and the charging stations. So what happened is they're way out in front. You know, if you look at the number of Tesla cars sold in the United States or sold in the world compared to anybody else, they've got multiple sold versus anybody else. Now, here comes Ford with the, uh, the, the biggest selling non-Tesla electric car, which is the Mustang Mach-E. That's the biggest selling outside of the Tesla vehicles. By the way, statistic a lot of people might have missed, but the Tesla Model Y was the number one most popular car sold in Q3. Really? I didn't know I that. I got that wrong. No, Q1. I'm sorry. In Q1 of 2023. I said that wrong. So the quarter just ended Q1 2023. The Model Y was the best-selling car in the world. So it, it wow. wasn't just the best-selling electric car. It was the best-selling car in the world. So, you know, here's this company, 15 years old in the car industry, which, which most of everybody at Ford and GM just laughed about 12 years ago. I remember when I first started writing about Tesla, you know, I would they would just go to the people that were running Ford and GM would write nasty, nasty letters to Forbes and say, you know, that I didn't know what I was talking about. I wasn't a car expert. Then the Tesla would disappear. And, you know, that turned out to be really wrong. But anyway, I digress back again to this story. There's all these Tesla cars out there. Tesla's put all these charging stations out there. So Tesla has this standard for the, the plug-in on the car for how you charge it, right? right? And so they just recently named it, and they, they trademarked the name North American Charging Station, NACS. So they trademarked their standard, North American Charging Standard. Sorry, that, I said that wrong. NACS. So they actually trademarked this, and they, they have this standard for how the uh, charging station would work. So here comes Ford, and they're putting their Mach-E out, and they got their Lightning coming out. And, you know, we've talked about that they're setting up two Fords. There's Ford Blue, and there's Ford E, and they're going to try to, you know, make sure that they make the investments to grow the e-business. But their car used the stand the plug-in on it was, was a standard called CCS. And this was a standard developed um, by the government out of the regulatory agencies. And all the North American suppliers were headed towards the CCS. 
Well, the, there's people who pay a lot of attention to batteries and charging and how electronics work for these kinds of things. And the the pretty much universal opinion of the agnostic folks out there, you know, the, the people at universities and regulatory agencies, those kinds of things, was that the standard, the Tesla was was a better standard, that it, it, it charged faster, it worked better, uh, and, and it was just better than the CCS standard. But Tesla owned it, so they couldn't say, hey, let's go make this a national standard because Tesla owns it. But here's you got Tesla, you got the cars, you got the charging stations, you got the standard. So what Ford did was they went in and said, look, we would like to make a partnership with you so that we will switch from the CCS standard to the NACS standard. And that means that anybody who buys any one of our electric cars could plug it into a Tesla station. And that was the partnership they made. So that, that I think, is a really good deal. If you think about it, this is corny and it's not real good. And all, almost all analogies aren't real good. Kind of think about the Tesla car a little bit like a like an iPhone, okay? In that it's a it's a platform that uses a lot of software and it has to be recharged and it's electronic and, and all those good things. So now what happened was they they got this standard for how you would charge it, and they got these charging stations. Well, they make money on charging stations. If you drive up, plug in, that's you know the, that's going to cost you. You have to pay to do that. That's why most people charge their vehicles at home. That's by far and away the least expensive way to charge your vehicle. Well, now what they've been able to do is say, hey, everybody buys a Ford car when they go to charge it in. We're going to make some money on it because they'll have to put the Tesla type system in their home to charge. We'll make a profit on that. Then if they come to our charging stations, we'll make a profit on that. So it's a little bit kind of like an yeah, app. Is that, the, is that the benefit for Tesla is that they get some additional revenue or is there something beyond that? I think for Tesla, it could turn into a huge win. And here's how. If, in fact, Ford is the first one of these companies that goes down this road, but it leads towards everybody else. Now, I don't know if you mentioned, caught this, but about two months ago, approximately, uh, you know, they were trying to go out and implement the Inflation Reduction Act. It's got a lot of things in there that relate to electric cars. And there was a deal that got made between the federal government and Tesla to use Tesla charging stations nationwide on all vehicles. So the government reached in and said, look, we would like to tell people that if they buy electric cars, they could tap into your network. And the way you had to do that was, I believe you had to buy your, if your car didn't, it wasn't a Tesla, you had to get an adapter, go through some things like an adapter or modifier to, to get this to work. But they, but Tesla already made that deal. And they, but it was a limited time deal. I think it's good for one or two years. But think about what happens if you now are Tesla and you get the NACS standard agreed upon by the industry. And now all of the electric vehicles that are manufactured by Ford, by General Motors, by, um, I'm trying to remember who owns Chrysler, it starts with an S, uh, style Anyway, the company that owns Chrysler and Jeep, if you can get those companies, then down the road, Toyota and Honda, if they have to they do their electric cars to operate in the United States, what happens is now suddenly you are the standard. So now you get a fee. You know, you would get a royalty from letting them use your technology in the car. You would get a fee for anybody who buys the charging stations, the charging hardware, to put it in their home or to put up a charging station. You would then be able to sell electricity through that, and you probably could make a little money on, on the sale of electricity, sort of like selling gasoline at a gas station. You could make some money on the throughput. So, so like I said, it kind of back to it, the charging stations become a little bit like an app. That's, that's flowing this money. And when people use it, it's like the app store and money flows back to Tesla. 
And a lot of people haven't kind of thought this through, but but the truth is we are going to put up 500,000 additional charging stations in the United States in the, something like the next three years. That's part of the Inflation Reduction Act. And they're being heavily subsidized by the federal government. There's two companies out there building charging stations today. Those are on CCS standards. They might go to a CCS and an NCAS standards, or they might just, we might be at the, the tip edge of a deal to just they'll go, you know, drop CCS and go NACS. But any circumstance in which it would include NACS or the Tesla standard for the build out of those 500,000 stations is a good thing for Tesla. They would make money, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's a good thing for the consumer as well. Because if you remember, I don't know if you're old enough, Manny, but but when mobile phones first came along, if you bought your mobile phone and it was a Motorola mobile phone, then it ran on the Motorola network. And if you bought a phone from uh, uh, another maker and you bought it, say, from Verizon or one of the other suppliers, like Sprint, for example, if you bought a Sprint uh, on a Sprint. So Sprint's network, AT&T's network, these different networks didn't talk to each other. So when right. you made a call, if you were calling another, they wanted you to call another Sprint customer. So all the ads would say, hey, get your friends and family plan going. You'll refer somebody, get them into the Sprint network. Because talking within your network was very low charge because they had control of cost. Cross-lateral crossing networks was more expensive. Well, eventually we got to where that wasn't a problem anymore. Now, you know, you just call everybody and you don't even think about it. You know, it could be Sprint, it could be AT&T, it could be an iPhone, it could be an Android phone. We don't think about that stuff anymore. Yeah. But that was sort of a little war that went on. You know, it was about who's going to get the standard, how we're going to make this all work. And that's where I'm coming back and saying, from the user perspective, you don't want these problems. You don't want to have a Rivian or is it Rivian or Rivian? I think it's Rivian. You don't want to have Rivian. one of these trucks. You don't want to have one of these trucks and it's got to have a special charging station. Or you don't want to have a truck and it's designed for one charging station, but you have to put an adapter on it. And maybe it takes 50% longer to charge your batteries up or you know, it takes extra time or there's extra costs involved. You don't want those hassles. So from a consumer standpoint, if you're the federal government, you believe in you want a low carbon, lower carbon in the atmosphere, then you're saying, I want more electric cars. Then you would say, hey, I want to make it easy on the consumer. The, the vast majority of, of, of charging, again, occurs at home, but you don't want to be stuck. So just knowing that you're not stuck because there's one standard, it, 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 I guess I take it back another one. I don't know this ever happened, but if you could imagine back when the cars were being developed in the 20s and the early 30s, imagine that there was different gasoline. And, you know, right. if you bought a car that you had to go to the Shell station or you had to go to the Exxon station or you had to go to the Shamrock station, you know, you had to go to a specific gas station to get your gasoline. That would have been a real hassle, right? Right. But, you know, gasoline, I think pretty much gasoline was always gasoline. It's just different octane levels. And so people could go anywhere. That's what we're, I think we're headed toward from the yeah, I think given point. In that direction, I think, you know, even with, with myself, my iPhone here, this particular lightning plug is going to be replaced by a universal style charging, right? And same thing with Android, same thing with all the other phones that are exist out there. And I think it's just part of the, the process. I think Tesla's getting a little bit of uh, momentum, right? This, even talking about this in the news is getting this um, advertised, right? What did uh, Barnum and Bailey say? Any, uh, any, any media is good media, right? Right, right. Right. And so, so so I look at it and I say, I think this is good for consumers. So therefore, I think it's good for Ford because Ford's trying to sell more vehicles. If Ford can say that, hey, you can use the Tesla stations, then that's going to help people who are saying comparing a Tesla and a Ford car. They'll be able to take a look and say, oh, well, you know, then I can pick the car I like. Um, and they might think that the Ford, is, which is a sportier car um, in terms of its looks and performance, 
I mean, it's not sportier than the Model S with four motors on it. That's a crazy fast car. But you know what I'm getting at, right? Somebody yeah. wants that car at that price point, then they'd say, I don't have to worry about charging anymore, which I think is a good deal. And I'm mean, going to tell you, it was interesting to me because about uh, three, four weeks ago, I got an email. And as you know, I've had a Mercedes S-Class for 10 years, and I don't drive a lot. You know, it's only got about 65,000 miles on it. But I got a thing in the mail that Mercedes was doing a test drive of its electric cars, and they've got a new car out that's comparable to the S-Class S550. Really? Um, yeah. And uh, they said, you know, come test drive it, come over to this place and we'll let you have a run. And I did. And, you know, I was really impressed with the car. It was, it's actually throttle response was and, and speed and early torque and high end. All of it beat out my car, which was it's 10 years old and it's a gas powered car. And, it, and I was like, oh, this is very, very impressive. You know, I, I honestly can now say that without a doubt that when this <laughs> car I have goes, I'm going to go electric. But, you know, I didn't even think at the time to ask about charging stations. Right. Didn't occur to me. When Out of I curiosity, what was the sticker on it? Oh, 110. It was 110, which, by the way, was less than what my car was listed at um, back at, at, at 2010. <laughs> so the gasoline-powered version that I had was a more expensive car in 2010 dollars than this one is in 2023 dollars. Yeah. So I was impressed. It, 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 adjusted for inflation is a cheaper car. Uh, and uh, and again, just 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 a super super car. I really really enjoyed it. Um, the test drive I took, but I come back again. I didn't think. I haven't thought enough about this. I realized I wasn't a good consumer because I didn't even think about how would I charge it. You know, what kind of what's the standard? What's it hook up to? So now it's one of the things that you know our, our our audience ought to be listening to. I think the issue here though is to start to understand that whenever you're getting into these businesses, you have to kind of look at the infrastructure around you, and you have to say what's that infrastructure and how do I fit. And I've seen an awful lot of small business people have tremendously good ideas, but they don't work on the existing infrastructure. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, an example. Back about 15 years ago, there was a, a big um, uh, quick shop type of an organization called that was called Quick Trip on the QT out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, had a lot, a lot of stores in the southwest. And um, they came out with the, one of those big giant cups, you know, the big 64 ounce cups that we drink whenever we get in that hot weather. Right. And then, but the, to make it substantial, the base of it was about, I don't know, four and a half, five inches in diameter. And so when you got the cup, it was substantial, but the problem was you couldn't put it in your cup holder. And so the, the product wasn't succeeding because it didn't fit in the cup holder in the car. Now, they modified that. And today, if you go get a big 64-ounce cup, it's very unstable cup with this very small bottom and the big top. But they did that to make it fit into the car, into the cup right. holder, right? That's an example of understanding the infrastructure and saying, okay, if I want to go sell something, what's, what's the problem that it's going to fit into, right? If you have a new idea, but it requires your customer to make a significant investment, it's going to be a hard sale, right? You got to think true. about that. Yeah, you got to think about when you go in. Am I asking, how much am I asking of my customer whenever I am asking them to buy my product? And if, I, if it doesn't require them to invest a lot, then it's a lot easier for them to do the test. And that's one of the things that a lot of times our companies, our small mid-sized companies don't think through. They say, well, you know, I've got this, it's a far superior solution. Okay, yeah, but you're asking a lot of the customer. You know, they got to change. Maybe they got to change their business process, you know, in some way. Or maybe they have to change their interaction with their customer in some way. And again, that's what gets in the way of a company like like a Ford. 
One of the problems Ford's having with this transition is that when you sell a, a, a gasoline car, a dealer out there, he can sell that car. And, and I'm told that dealers don't make a lot on selling a new car. But what they do make a lot on is you come back in for your warranty checkups to keep right. your warranty good, those are oil changes. They can do check out your brakes and things, see if you need additional service. And then they try to get you, you know, addict, you know, come in to us for your service. Don't go to somebody else. And then they can make money on the service over time. That's a great business model until you sell an electric car. Because electric cars just don't need the service, right? There's right. no oil changes, no transmission fluids. <laughs> There's no, the brakes last nearly forever because you've got regenerative braking and the motor's doing the braking. So all these wear parts that we have in our cars, there's so many fewer of them in an electric. So if you're a dealer, now you're looking at a very different set of economics. It's yeah, like, I got to make money selling cars. Yeah. yeah. And Tesla doesn't have dealers. Tesla owns its sales force, right? It owns its facilities. And so consequently, it's not having to pay a profit at that point in the supply chain when it goes to the customer. Here you've got Ford making a car. It has to make a profit selling it to the dealer. The dealer has to make a profit selling it to the end user. And they got around that in the past with the service. Now they're not going to have that service revenue that they can count right. upon. When was so the last time happened? you bought a printer, by the way? Sorry? When was the last time you bought a printer? About a year ago. I'm looking over here because I'm looking at it. How much so, was why? it? A couple hundred bucks? Um, I, I, well, I bought one. It was about uh, $400. And um, and I print a lot of black and white stuff, a lot of black and white stuff, you know, uh, related to my business and Mary Lou's business. And so I got something that I could print a lot of black and white stuff. Yeah. And it, it, instead of using ink, it doesn't use ink. It uses a toner, you know, that kind of Yeah. Thing. So if you think about the that business model, I mean, they're selling, a, they probably don't make much money on the, the sale of a printer, right? They're probably just right. breaking even at best. I mean, I bought a printer the other day for a hundred bucks. Yep. But the damn toner, the damn ink, it cost me a fortune. 40 yeah. bucks yeah. for a right. small thing that lasts probably like two or three months, right? So right. I think that that's an example of, uh, of an industry that went out and said, you know what? We're not going to require you to put a big up front, but we're going to require you to pay, pay the piper every time you, you use the product. Yeah. So again, I, I encourage our, our, our audience out there to think about when you're, when you're coming up with a new idea for a business, what is the ask on your customer? How much are you asking them to make an investment in doing something different uh, and realize that they probably don't want to make a change, right? Now, sometimes that's where trends are really, really helpful because if you can go to the customer and say, look, I know you're, this is your business. I know how it works, but let's look at the world. Okay. We got this, for example, years ago, you go and say, I know you've got a telephone. I know you've got a traditional phone system in your in your business, you know, landline phone, landline, everything operational, fax machine, all that stuff. But you can walk in and say, look at all the people using cell phones. Look where this is headed. Long term, we know that's not going to happen. And so long term, you're going to get rid of that, that old part of the infrastructure. You're going to replace it. Think of my product as helping you move in that direction. So the one way to get around this problem of having, you know, some further investment infrastructure or asking someone to change is to say, is the world changing? What is happening in terms of trends? If the, if the trend is towards mobile phones and that's what's how people are working, then what you can say is, look, you're going to end up with this mobile phone in your business as well as a mobile phone in your personal life. Let's start talking about how to use that today. So to overcome the stick in the mud, you know, I'm here, I don't want to change phenomenon is that's where you come in and you can use trends, right? To try to promote that try to promote that new form of behavior. Yeah, I think people I need to, uh, for those that are new to this, this show or those that are uh, relatively new to the whole idea of trends, the reason we talk about trends so much is because it comes down to where is the market going? 
if you are, uh, if you come out right now and you're trying to sell something that the, the market's already passed it, like the whole Wayne Gretzky thing, right? He goes, skates to where the, the, uh, the puck's going, not where it is. You're not going to have that wild success. You're going to have marginal success at best. Yeah. But if you look forward, trends tells you where the market is going to be so that when you actually develop your, your product or service, that you're reaching it when the market gets there. And I think that love him or hate him, Elon Musk and, and his executives are making some pretty bold moves. Um, and, you know, you're seeing that over and over again in, in different other areas and uh, his other, even his other businesses, right? The SpaceX and the Boring Company. I mean, he's making partnerships with, with lots of organizations. And I think it's, it just it speaks to his strategic mind. And um, I think there's a lot of value in understanding why he does what he does. So 20 years ago, uh, when <laughs> I did some work with Motorola, and um, at that time, Motorola was big because they had uh, the Razor phone and it was very successful. They had the infrastructure towers that they were operating for the cellular phones. But they also had a really big radio business. Remember the police walkie-talkie type radios that, people, that yeah. they used to firemen? And also, if you went, say, to a casino or to an event, if you went to an event, you know, like a, one of those big centers that you would have an event in, you saw these security people and folks using these two-way radios, right? And even 20 years ago, those radios were all analog technology. And analog right. technology has certain benefits, especially if you're near range with someone. Um, but what happened was, and Motorola saying, look, we've got digital technology that can overcome all the downsides. And, you know, like it's, it's, it's analog plus, it's better. But they couldn't get their dealers to move in that direction because the dealers, all their service people were analog oriented. They'd already sold lots of equipment to the, uh, the fire departments and the police stations, all those guys, plus the event organizers, that already sold a lot of stuff. And they, and they were just adding on to what they already had. And Motorola was trying to say, look, you need to start switching to digital, switch to digital. And I got involved with them. I actually ended up do, going around to doing a dozen different um, events where we brought in all the dealers. And what I explained to them was, look, you're not going to get out of digital in one week, right? But here, I mean, out of analog. Here's the digital product. Here's the analog product. When you've got a customer who wants an analog product, sell them the analog product. That's what they want. But introduce them to the digital product. Introduce them to the technology. Talk about its benefits. Let the customer decide which one they want. When you know that the digital is superior, point out how the digital is superior. And then point out to them how the digital will replace the analog over the course of the next five years. So the more they keep buying analog product, they're buying something that's going into a dying technology. So they need to be thinking, the customer needs to be thinking about how they switch from analog to digital. And so what, that whole purpose was to say that it's not a, a one-shot deal. In other words, if you're working with a customer, do you force them to buy the new technology or not? And that, you know, so that's kind of like where we are with, with Ford. You can go in and you can still buy a normal pickup with a you know, gas engine or a diesel engine, but they're starting to make available the electric engine. So that's going to put the, put the dealer in a position saying, look, which do you want? You want to keep investing in gasoline technology, diesel technology, when you know that nobody's doing additional R&D there. They're not trying to improve performance because all the R&D and improvements on the electric side. But maybe that's what you want because it's convenient. It's easy. You know, you, you know where the gas stations are. You're comfortable fixing your own vehicle. Whatever reason, that's what you want. But hey, let me introduce you to the new solution. Let me introduce you to the new technology. And then let's look at the trend. You know, here's here's a, a Tesla. Look how many cars they've sold in the U.S. Look how many they sold in China. Look at look at you know number one car for Q1 2023. Maybe you should think about the electric vehicle. You yeah. know, and if you don't buy it today, that's okay. But but we don't do enough of that helping people. How do I get across that bridge? What is it I'm buying today, and then how do I buy something new? And realizing that the people who are going to buy it today are people with an unmet need. 
some kind of an unmet need. So, for example, another piece of this, when the Toyota Prius came out, the Prius was more expensive than a, a gasoline-powered car. And so the, the people thought, well, why would someone want to buy this thing, right? It's electric, it's a hybrid, that kind of thing. And we discovered that a lot of college kids were asking for them, and a lot of graduate students, and so we started digging into it. And what we learned was that somebody, their parents would say, hey, look, you're going off to college, let me get you a new car. And they would sit there and say, okay, you know, what car do I want? Well, the economics, people don't always economics saying that you, sh that you should just buy a gasoline-powered car because, you know, over time, it, 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 that high premium you pay for the hybrid isn't worth it. But to the college kid, he sat down and said, if I get this electric car, I can plug it in to a 110 outlet at night at, near my dorm, and basically my operating costs go to zero. No oil changes, no, yeah. you know, all the service things go away, and I'll be having this electric car, and my cost of operation will be near zero. So they were effectively saying, my need is a low cost of operating car when somebody else is putting up the capital. And that was what happened. And, and so people got, the Prius became an extraordinarily popular car. So you have to look, look at this from the customer's point of view and start saying, who's the customer that would get advantaged by using this product, right? How is that going to work out the best? And that was what I kept telling Motorola with the radios is find the applications where the digital technology outperforms the analog and sell into that application. That's where the yeah. needs of the analog technology are poorly meeting the customer's needs. When you actually, you say, it's not just, don't just say it's a great product. Don't just say it's really cool or easy to use. Start saying, how does the customer benefit when they use this product, right? Yeah. That's your value proposition, right? Our value proposition is you get this win. So that what's the win? It's when you better meet a poorly met or an unmet need. So how can I take that product out there and take advantage of that? And that's what we see happening now is we got who's going to buy the first electric trucks? And in a lot of cases, these electric trucks are not going to people who are going to use them in traditional, let's say, farming applications, <laughs> construction applications, but people that really like the performance of the electric truck, right? Yeah. That's one thing because it does have a much higher performance characteristic because the electric motors. And the second one is, can I get the power at low to no cost? And then it's kind of like, okay, if I can go get this truck in my business, it becomes something that I can depreciate as part of my business. So I can lower the overhead cost, the, the purchase cost. And then if I can, the electric costs are very low, the economics really work for me really, really well. So that's where you start targeting in on who would be the early buyer for, say, the electric truck. And that's, right. again, where we need our, our, our listeners should be paying a lot of attention is, to, do I really know how my customers benefit from using my product and from using my innovations? Because it, it's not just, gee, that's, that's gee whiz. It's actually, here's the benefit you get from working with this. You're going to make better decisions. Um, it's going to shorten your cycle time. Mm -hmm. It's going to allow you to be more responsive to your customers. Uh, we eliminate a problem that you have. Like, you know, that you have a job that somebody's doing something and you have a lot of turnover in that job because it's an undesirable job. We eliminate that job so that you don't have to deal with all that turnover and, and that undesirable job. Do you really know what the benefit is that the customers get? Yeah. And I think it comes down that, to that conversation with, uh, with your customer. I think uh, a lot of salespeople um, and even the executives that make the decision on what a company builds make the wrong decision because they're listening to their customer through their own bias. And right. we're talking about bias a lot of times in this, uh, on this podcast. And I think the idea, you know, Jeffrey Moore's uh, Crossing the Chasm, the early adopters, uh, you know, are going to give you a lot of, of information based on um, the interaction and communication with them to help you go to that, that next realm and, and create some massive momentum. Uh, it reminds me of 
Ford was smart with the partnership with Tesla, back to where we started this conversation. I think that they're sitting there saying, okay, do we want to see ourselves at war with Tesla in a fight for market share and then have two standards out there and our customers have to live with us fighting that war out, which is like, you know, Apple versus Microsoft. It's, you know, Sprint versus AT&T. Do I want to be in that boat? Or can I go out and say to my customer, hey, if you buy this, you can use all the Tesla charging stations. That's thinking about the customer. And now what happens is instead of dealing with that infrastructure problem that, they, that the customer would have to deal with, you're like, okay, now let's start comparing. Can you get another small, light-duty electric truck today? No, there isn't one. Tesla doesn't have one. I have one. It's called an F-150 Lightning. Let's talk about the benefits of that, yeah. right? So it puts you in that position. You've gotten past that infrastructure question. You've gotten past the range anxiety fears. All those things can go away, and you can really try to help the customer realize why they want to get on the trend towards the electric truck. A lot of exciting information, Adam, and uh, I'm glad we're having this uh, discussion. And if you're, you're a business that's looking at partnering to, to grow or if you're looking at uh, what trends are coming down the road, I invite you to, to reach out to us. Uh, we love doing this. We do this for uh, lots of customers. Um, Maniasparkpartners.com and adamusparkpartners.com. And certainly we'd love to have your, um, your questions and, and thoughts. Uh, and with that, any final comments before we log off for today, Adam? Again, I think a lot of times as small business people, we have an innovation, we get excited about it, and we think we have to sell it. And one of the roles that we play, Manny, is that we, when they, you come to us, we will actually ask that hard question, what's in it for the customer? And help you figure out what's in it for the customer. When you figure out, hey, my value proposition is, and it's a powerful value proposition, and you can identify those customers with poorly met needs, it will sell. You don't have to go force it. It will sell. So a lot of times it's not a lack of sales force. It's not a lack of effort. It's that you haven't really done the targeting right yet. You don't really know your value proposition. And uh, we can come at it with an outside view and really help you get that uh, figured out and, and position you for success. Absolutely. And one of the things we're going to be doing this summer is we're going to be having some guests over that have uh, businesses that um, are either on trend or not. And we're, you know, we're going to come in and help them to understand really how to grow their business and do some of these lives kind of uh, interactive uh, situations. So with that, Adam, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Manny. Cheers.